Does Eternals change what we know about Thanos and Avengers Endgame? We answer that question and more this week on Only Stupid Answers. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Only Stupid Answers. This is the show where we answer your questions about the movies, uh, TV shows, Celestials, and more. Uh, we're going to answer all your hot celestial questions <laughs> this week. Uh, with me, as always, is Roxy Stryer. I, I thought you were going to say it was the celestial Roxy The Stryer. celestial Roxy Stryer. I mean, if you were celestial, you would not fit in the room you're in right now. <laughs> you don't know that. Maybe I'm a shape-shifting celestial. Maybe you are. I, do I invented have... a new character. Boom. I do have some questions because we were introduced to another celestial in a Guardians movie that doesn't look like the other celestials, and I do have questions about that. Totally true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll get into it. Listen, we're going to get into full spoilers. Um, but, uh, 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 as always, the, you can watch this show early on patreon.com slash only stupid answers. You can also watch, uh, my show with Sal from comic pop spider versity. We're watching the Spider-Man movies. Uh, you can read those on the iTunes. You can answer our Spotify questions. There's a ton of stuff you can do, but listen, we got a lot of talk about this week. And, uh, before, before we get into Eternals, Roxy, I did want to ask you about, real quick about Spencer, which is a movie you saw. You weren't able to talk about it last week. You're now able to talk about it. This is mm-hmm. uh, Kristen Stewart as Princess Di. And I believe it's the same director that did that Jackie Kennedy movie with Natalie Portman. Oh, is that true? I, I It is now. I just said it. And there's no oh. way to find out. <laughs> I, I'm going to find it out. Let's see. As she slowly types Spencer into, you know, what's funny is that I didn't look at anything about this movie. It's Pablo Lorraine who did the Jackie movie, which I saw. Yes. Uh, and I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he was right for this project. And what, Elaborate yeah. on that. And I don't think that uh, the I, – I think that this project was severely hurting by the fact that it was both written by a man and directed by a man and how so uh, how could that possibly be true (laughs) so uh all right so let me rewind i saw spencer it is the new princess die movie it takes place over a couple days of her life so it isn't a grand movie it is a Princess Die slice of life movie. That tends to be how I like my biopics is where it's not like, hey, here's the entirety of their life. <laughs> yeah. But where where we cut in and where we leave requires an extreme amount of previous knowledge on Princess Die that Ooh. some people may or may not have. I probably won't. If you do not have any knowledge, what this looks like is not a Princess Die story. It looks like watching a woman go nuts. Oh. Um, and a and now I understand why people think that the the reports are saying that anybody close with Princess Di is saying that she would be mortified by this movie, that this would like crush her soul, Oof. that this is how she's being portrayed. Uh, and I get why it, it she in this movie is being portrayed as like just uh, like kind of a nightmare. Oh, sure. And 
And I was like, whoa, what am I watching? Like you see, you, you feel for her at times, but really it looks like you don't know why she's like this. You don't know how she got like this. You just see that she's mad. Okay. And, and it was, I had a really hard time watching this movie, mm. uh, which I was not expecting. As you know, I, I'm not that into the Royals, but I watched the crown. I like that. Yeah. I, I had a princess die beanie baby growing up. Why I got rid of that, we'll never know. I think it's worth like $500,000 or some shit at this point. Whoops. <laughs> uh, there, is, there is a lot of love for Princess Di. I also have always had a soft spot because I feel like my mom looked so much like Princess Di. Mm. Um, people used to say to my mom, one of two things, you look like Meg Ryan or you look like Princess Di. So I just always, like when I look at her, I'm like, Mom, I, yeah. I don't know. I just have, I've had a lot of love for Princess Di. And I... I, as everything's come out with Meghan Markle, you just think about a time period in which things were not as public and this woman was fucking suffering. Yeah. Now, what I walked out of this movie with, what the first thought I had in my head was, wow, rich white people problems. Mm. And like, I actually don't think that's Princess Di's story, yeah. but that is definitely how I felt based on this movie. Uh, it's really pretty. It's really slow. It really like, lives in every moment it lets every moment breathe and sometimes that works <laughs> Kristen stewart is excellent unsurprising she, she makes an excellent princess die she really invests in the character and while five minutes in you're struggling a little bit with like this is Kristen stewart in a wig by 15 minutes in you're no longer struggling with that and you just are watching princess die so that was really good there are some incredibly sweet moments between her and William and Harry mm -hmm. in the movie that make you like make your heart sing. Yeah. There are a few lines from the kids that made me hysterically laugh out loud. They really like thought that these were children yeah. and not just go people who are going to be prince and king and stuff like they were kids. Yeah. Uh, and so that really worked. I was unclear on everybody else's position mm. other than the kids and Kristen Stewart. I was like, Who's on her side? Who's out to get her? Who is, what are these things? Like what's happening here? Um, I don't, I don't know what their take on her husband is. I don't know what their take on the kitchen staff is. I don't know what their take, like what are these people thinking of her? I, it was people's motivations and people's thoughts were really unclear to me. And it was the first thing I said, not looking at this beforehand and I honestly didn't even look at it afterhand the first thing I said walking out of the movie after thinking to myself rich white people problem I turned to Darina and Steph and I said this was obviously written and directed by a man <laughs> and I do not I'm not somebody who believes that men can't write and direct women no. if men didn't write and direct women guess what we would have had no women on screen for the last fucking 80 years yeah. so uh, I, I think that some you know some men have a better understanding in the same way that some women have a better understanding. Sometimes it works, but like when you have no checks and balances in this system, I was just like, woof. I, I, the music is phenomenal. Yeah. The, the act, the performances are great, but this story is tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that seems like a really fair criticism. I remember liking um, Jackie, but I, I'm hearing a lot of what uh, you're saying from other people as well. So we'll. Oh, really? Yeah. I, well, I feel like, I feel like I've been hearing mixed things from 
I guess I've only heard from a couple people, so I don't know. Who knows what the general reaction will be? Yeah, what was interesting about this movie too, DJ, is that this was a, there are the two different kinds of screenings in LA. There's mm-hmm. those big screenings that we do that are at those big movie theaters that everybody goes to. Yeah. And then there's the screening room screenings. Yes. That are like 20 people. That's how I saw uh, Uncut Gems. Right. Yeah. And this was a screening room screening. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be that way. I thought Spencer was going to be a big movie. Uh, and now I kind of get why they're doing this. Like <laughs> yeah. I, as is a, this was a really tough watch. Watching it, I felt really icky. Oh, that's no good. That's no yeah. good. Well, let me tell you about a movie that I definitely didn't feel icky about. Uh, it's did or the, didn't? Uh, the did not feel like yet. Okay, I enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, real quick, because I know we get we got to get in all the eternal stock, but I did want to mention um, that I saw the French Dispatch uh, this week, which is the new film from Wes Anderson. Um, it is technically like an anthology film because it's broken up into um, three stories, um, and it's kind of his love letter to uh, the New Yorker magazine through a, a fictionalized version of it uh, called the French Dispatch, um, and. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, the classic people he's worked with before and a lot of new people. we got Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sidhu, uh, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, um, Lena Co- uh, Cowdery. Sorry for pronouncing that right. Uh, wrong. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, who is uh, in all the actors in this are great. Jeffrey Wright's fucking incredible. He's part of the last short and it. it uh, I'm it, Bill. Anyway, Bill Murray's in it. Owen Wilson's in it, and uh, this, this is nuts. Keep going. This movie leveled me, Roxy. This movie, and, and it, this is one of those. It was a good example, I think, of the way it, certain movies speak to certain people, and I could see other people, um, not necessarily not enjoying it, but not speaking to it in the same way that I felt. Like I think if I if I told people like, oh, I left this movie crying, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's like, because it because of what it was communicating and where I'm at right now. And like, well, all those things converged into a really emotional, profound experience for me. And I really enjoyed it. What's the it. basic premise? So the basic premise is that Bill Murray's character um, is that runs this, this newspaper called The French Dispatch. That it's like a Kansas paper, but it's in France. It's like any whatever. Uh, that part confused me a little bit. Um, the the summary is a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. So Bill Murray's character is the publisher. At, um, at the beginning of the movie, he's passed away, and so these stories that we're seeing are supposed to be stories that are published in the last newspaper of the paper he was publishing okay um and so one of the stories follows a uh benicio del toro's character who is a painter who's incarcerated but like his his paintings are uh, hugely influential widely beloved um um the middle chapter is uh a story told uh by um francis mcdormand's character as she follows uh kind of a youth revolt movement and i think it's like 70s Paris, um, following Timothy Chalamet's character. And by the way, I, if I'm being candid, Timothy Chalamet didn't leave a huge impression on me in Dune. He's fucking great in this. Like he's fuck. It's like, oh, sh- oh, you can play a person. That's fucking great. <laughs> Did you see Beautiful Boy? I've not seen Beautiful Boy. I've not seen Call Me by Your Name. I think the only other Timothy Chalamet thing I've seen him in is Lady Bird. And even though and he's good in it, Lady Bird didn't really move the needle for me. Yeah, um, Beautiful Boy is what, and I saw Call Me by Your Name, but Beautiful Boy is what when I was like, oh shit. Okay. This this guy can act like holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like good, good. Well, and this is and this is a lighter, more comedic uh, yeah. role. This is a comedy. This is a Wes Anderson comedy. 
And so, and, and I, I could see people being, and the, the final story follows Jeffrey Wright, um, um, who is following a story about a, uh, a Paris cop whose kid is kidnapped. And it's just a, it's just one of Wes Anderson's little caper stories, but, and I could see people being turned off by, you know, Wes Anderson's affectations. Uh, they don't bother me because it doesn't feel like if anybody, if you've seen a Wes Anderson impersonator and you see a Wes Anderson movie, it's like, no, this is just the way Wes Anderson, it's like watching a David Lynch movie or something like that. This is just the way his brain works. He's not trying to be cute. This is just how he, this is just what interests him. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's genuine. What got me is because we're following these stories and these writers and their stories and the stories they're trying to tell what the movie ends up being about, at least my perception of it is what it's like to be a writer and processing the reality of the world with these are, these are people writing for a paper. So they're, they're following and we're following the writers following the story. So they're trying to digest and understand and disseminate the story that they're seeing and they're experiencing. And so it becomes a lot about what, at least to me, what it means to be a writer, which is a way of, kind of understanding the world that you're in and sharing that with people around you. Just like any art, you're just trying to share an experience with people and get beyond the facts of it to the truth of it. So there's a, there's, there's a, there's a point at the end where Owen Wilson says something about another character and they're like, is that true? And he's like, ah, mostly. And it's like, well, yeah, cause it's, you, we get so hung up on like the fact of a thing, but what's the truth behind it. And so as somebody who writes and somebody who's uh, uh, part of that experience and somebody who's really struggling to figure out how to process the world around them. That meant a fuck ton to me. That really fucking meant a lot. Um, and it, and it, re- it just, it fucking wrecked me. It, it really, it really spoke to me and I could see people not having that same experience, but I was very grateful to have this experience with this movie. I'm grateful for you. I want to see it. I, I do recommend it. I get, if you're turned off by Wes Anderson shit, uh, maybe don't see it, but but if you're into that, if you've liked Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Isle of Dogs, any of his other movies, um, uh, highly recommend. Uh, really enjoyed it, and so yeah, so that's what we're into this week. Um, we're gonna cut to an ad break, and when we get back, ooh, we're gonna give you all the goddamn fucking eternal spoilers you want. You better have seen the fucking movie. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back. Roxy, are you ready for eternal spoilers? It still sounds like we are farmers every time. We <laughs> are back. I am. I am ready for eternal spoilers. What's, Spoil away. What's crazy is I don't even know I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> we are farmers. So, again, I said it before the break, this is spoiler time. And we're getting into the movie. So, if you haven't seen it, um, go see it or whatever. We're just we're going to spoil it for you. So, the movie opens with a i'm gonna say it probably a too long opening crawl it was it was uh, it was set is like it starts with like in the beginning and then there's like a paragraph and then there's like this like uh negative space and you're like okay this is done and then another paragraph comes up and you're like all right 
And then you're like, eh, another paragraph, and you're like, oh my God, how long is this opening crawl going to be? <laughs> I feel so differently than you do on this one. Really? Project. Well, as you know, I am kind of blind, remember? When we, when we used to do the show together yes. and I couldn't read anything. I also am partially dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And so reading takes so long for me. This was the first time something's been on screen that I was like, this is a good pace. Fair this enough. A good pace for me. Like I, but also with, it, it is weird because I know Star Wars takes from Dune, not Dune taking from Star Wars. But I haven't seen an opening crawl like this that wasn't Star Wars. Yes, yeah, it, it does, and I think that's what it's trying to evoke. Because, um, uh, and, and I think that's the thing that distinguishes it is an opening crawl. It's not like because normally you see like an opening text, like a paragraph, right. like "Hey, here's what you need to know." It's like, no, this is a crawl. This is a thing we're going for. And um, just to to keep things succinct, essentially, uh, what the Eternals understand of their mission is they are sent to Earth to destroy the Deviants, which are monsters, colorful monsters. Who I thought, I mean, they're all CG, but I thought the designs of them were pretty cool. Really cool. Um, and at some point, um, uh, they we see them straight up nuke a bunch of, uh, just decimate a bunch of Deviants with uh, uh, early man. And we understand that they've been on Earth fighting deviants for a long sort of time. We flash forward to present-day London, where apparently the deviants are not a problem anymore, and the Eternals have split up. Um, Cersei, I ask you my first question, please. I'm sorry, DJ. No, no, this, no. This is a a big one that comes really early. Everybody wanted to know. They put it a little bit in the trailer. Why didn't the Eternals help out with it when the Thanos thing was going down? Yes. Right. Yes. And the explanation we get is that they are told that if it is human-related, that they should not, and they should only interfere when there are deviants involved. Yes. I thought Thanos was a deviant. Did I get that wrong? Uh, We're going to get into that, because it is, I, uh, in the comics, he is an eternal with the deviant gene, uh, which is why he looks the way he does. In the movies, with what we understand of what we find out about Eternals and Deviants, that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> okay, okay. So, because immediately when they said it, I was like, I accept what you're saying, but I don't understand it. And there's also a reveal in the after credit sequence that confuses things even further. It's like, we're going to have to unpack this a little bit. Um, but we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, but I, that's why, I, while you mentioned Deviance, I- We got to get it in there. No, yeah. I totally get it. We, we're introduced to Cersei, who I, we find out Sprite is living with her. We're introducing to her love interest, who's Jon Snow, um, who's playing uh, Dane Whitman, uh, who is Black- Jon Snow. Jon Snow, uh, uh, who was Black Knight in the comics, and we get a tease of that. She gives him like a ring with the classic Black Knight symbol on it. Um, and they want to move in. She doesn't want to do it because she's fucking immortal. And he has a very, uh, I, I think uh, it's- in some ways, it's grown worthy because it's the franchise interjecting in a movie you're watching. But but if you lived in the Marvel universe, it is a very uh, and you're dating what we later discover is an Eternal. It's a very fair question. Hey, are you a sorcerer? Because I know Doctor Strange is a thing, and weird stuff has happened uh, around you. And also, you live with an Eternal child who goes by the name Sprite. So I'm just uh, you could tell me if you're a sorcerer. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting how chill they were about it because I was like, oh yeah, he lives in this world in which he knows things exist. Yes, it's not like me asking my boyfriend mm-hmm. which i don't have but if i did are you a sorcerer and like really thinking that like he's like there's like some truth behind it 100 percent. like if this weren't another movie it'd be if it, it's it works here it works because like you said it's like we literally a wizard helped save half we live in a world where half of the universe vanished anything's right. possible fuck right. it totally. but it, 
I want to see. I want to see a little aside where somebody asks that, like, is just dead set convinced their significant other is like a superhuman, and they're just not. They're just not. They're just for some reason they got it in their brain. Um. So, uh, before long, a deviant shows up. Uh, Icarus shows up. Richard Madden, um, who uh, and this deviant has healing powers, which is an ability we've seen Ajax, some Hayek's character, exhibit in one of the flashbacks. Um, so, like, uh oh, there's trouble in paradise. And this creates some tension between Cersei, because Cersei's dating Dane now, and Icarus is her past flame, which, which again, props to Dane for being so chill, like, oh, you were with your last boyfriend for thousands of years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But listen, uh, he rolls with it. I have love triangle questions for you, but we'll, we can get there. Okay, okay. I also think, I don't know if you felt the same way, Roxy. Um, uh, Icarus is a challenging character for a good half of the movie. Uh, and he basically shows up and might as well have a sign that says, I'm up to some shit on. <laughs> yeah, too, for sure. But I liked that. I liked that. I thought that they did a really good job of this character, actually. Yeah, he's got some big um, up to some shit vibes. So yeah. they decide they need to get the band back together. They go to a farm, I think, in Dakota, where they find uh, eight Sama Hayek's body ajax body um she is dead uh the little there's a little powerball in her throat that gives it allows her to communicate with celestials that goes from her neck to cersei's neck and the celestials are fucking huge there i that was something i really appreciated that they really committed to like no these these are planet-sized monstrosities <laughs> yeah yeah 100 percent on that at this point in the movie dj are you thinking that salma hayek is dead from a deviant I thought the deviant. I thought we were going to reveal that the the deviants were like Ajax had turned into a deviant. Okay. I knew. I knew that like Icarus was up to some shit, and there was something going on there. That you know, I, I knew that there was another shoe waiting to drop. Yeah, but uh, you didn't know what the shoe. was. I didn't know what yeah. the shoe was, and and this is the part of the movie. This this first half of the movie was where things weren't quite clicking for me, but it all ends up kind of mattering. Um, the next stop is uh, Kingo, Kumail Nanjiani's character, who's a, a, a part of a, he's kind of created his own Bollywood acting dynasty playing the great grandfather, grandfather, father, son, um, which by the way, this is also where we meet Kingo's valet, Karun, who ends up kind of being our, our human stand in. And it's such a fucking smart choice. That character is such a great addition and having he's him so be, lovable. He's great. He's not annoying. Exactly. He just works. I think that there, I, I, I get the sense that this was a decision. They had the actor, they had him in a few scenes and they're like, Oh, this guy should be in more of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they cast him for literally just the Bollywood stuff. And yeah. then they were like, Hmm. Well, and I can see a version of the movie that would have decided that Dane is our human perspective. And I think that's a much weaker choice. I think this was a much, because this is very much just a dude. Yeah. Totally. And he adds a lot to the movie, but we'll get into that more. Um, so we get flashbacks throughout. Uh, some The two biggest ones, I think, are, and you can correct me if you remember differently, I think it's Babylon, and then there's one later that's south, somewhere in South or Central America. What I know is that Darina turned to me and said, my people. Okay. So Mexico adjacent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, there, there's some colonialism going on. Yeah. And I will say both, and again, because I, I said in the past episode i kind of compared this in dune in my brain in my brain both are dealing with colonialism this movie is much more nakedly anti-colonialist like that is what mm. this movie is fucking about in a lot of ways um so uh, uh in babylon we get a lot of cersei and icarus's uh backstory they get their groove on we get our first uh mcu sex scene and it's fine <laughs> it's 
It's fine. <laughs> I was excited about this. I really thought that Cersei and Icarus had fire chemistry. Really? I did not feel that. Wow. I thought that they had fire chemistry to the point that I'm struggling with Cersei and Dane. Interesting. Interesting. I felt like they were lacking that intimacy. And I I could just see, I, I really, I felt like Richard Madden had like such an infatuation with, or uh, Icarus had such an infatuation with Cersei. I get it. That I, this was like fireworks for me. So I yeah. loved this moment. Yeah. So we get, we, we flesh out that story a little bit. And then the other main flashback we get is in South America where they've, they've at this point, it's centuries later, they've already uh, apparently gotten rid of all the deviants. Um, and um, some major colonialism is going on. The Spanish are, are destroying uh, native villages. And, um, and and this is interesting, and we'll get into more later, but Druig's basically like, listen, I can just, because they all have different abilities. So Cersei's matter transmogrification or whatever, she can change matter from one thing to another thing. Icarus gets Superman powers. He can fly, laser eyes, super strong, all that shit. Um, Thena can create weapons. Druig's thing is he can mind control people. And, uh, and so he's basically like, I should just mind control these people. So they stop murdering each other. And they're like, we can't interfere. Um, and at this point, uh, Fina is having brain problems and is attacking people. Um, uh, and they say it's because of being living forever causes brain problems, which uh, that tracks actually. What was the term they used? I don't know. I'm assuming it's from the comics, but it was one of those like, like, well, if we don't need this. We can just say she's having, she's having brain problems. I don't know if we need a term for it. <laughs> I liked it. Whatever it was, I was like, "That's clever." Okay. So anyway, at this point, the uh, they break up. the 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 band breaks up. They go their separate ways. This is where everything kind of falls apart. And we, um, uh, in the present, we go we go and get Thena and Gilgamesh because Gilgamesh um, uh, goes with uh, Thena to the Australian outback. I like the relationship. I didn't. I don't know. Did Did you see it as romantic? Because I saw it as more of like almost familial, but I liked Thena and Gilgamesh's relationship with each other. I thought that when, when Thena describes why he did it, Mm -hmm. that I was like, Oh, this was not a romantic thing. This was like a duty obligation. Like this is what you do for the people that you love. Yeah. But no, I didn't get romance vibes. Same, same. And also I just, again, uh, the actor that plays Gilgamesh is also in train to Busan. He's fucking great in that movie. He's great in this movie. I love him. Um, he was really good in this. I like this because I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, of boy girl non sexual relationships on yes. screen. We don't see them, so I really didn't get like that sexual. I really got like a I'm gonna have your back because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, totally. And and I and I think it's smart too because we do get at least two other instances of inter eternal romance yeah. situation. So it's totally. like, well, we don't. I mean, I get it. You're, who else are you gonna make out with? But like, it doesn't yeah, need yeah, to be yeah. everybody. <laughs> Mm-hmm, totally. Um, so they pick uh, them up and they go to uh, what uh, seemingly the same Central American, South American culture from the Spanish invasion, where um, uh, Druig is still mind controlling um, that village. And I think this is for all the talk of well, we shouldn't interfere. Da 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 da. I thought this was the greatest illustration of wh- why that's not a good thing. And it, and I actually think it pertains to a question that was raised at Midnight Mass of like, well, if God's good. Why doesn't he stop bad things? Because it's like, well, okay, if we're talking about extra human entities intervening, you're basically saying, do you not want bad things or do you want free will? Because the solution, it's literal in this sense. Druig's literally controlling their minds. 
But if you're talking about an extra human entity enforcing their will on humanity, you're talking about one of two things. And one of it's, you don't have free will anymore. You don't, you no longer have the option to decide what is good or not good for you. Somebody else is making that decision for you. Um, uh, and you're also talking about essentially another form of colonialism. Like that's not like if the Eternals, it, they don't really touch on it, but it's like, uh, like if Dane was like, well, why didn't you interfere in any of the other stuff? And, and Cersei could have just looked at him like, oh yeah. Cause whenever an advanced culture enforces their will on a less advanced culture, it turns out great. Mm-hmm. You're British Dane. Tell me, tell me how that's worked out globally for y'all. <laughs> yeah, completely. I, I felt for Druig's character here though, because what a burden to have the ability yeah. and and know that you can't use it, but keep having to, he has to decide that every day. Yeah. And then like, sometimes he's like, actually, I'm just going to fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. I think they did. Um, you talked a lot in the last episode about how much you like Barry Keegan. I think he does really good in this role. And I think Druig, um, I have a little question. The, the way his powers are utilized or not utilized later, I have some questions about, but um, I, I think the way they use this character and the way he plays the character is really smart. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and I liked his, speaking of little love relationships with Makari, I thought that that was a cute little like possible. Did you not get, did you totally, get those vibes? Here? Yeah. Totally. I was and like, also I don't blame him. She was also in, um, um, she's also like a walking dead. She's one walking dead, but she's also in sound of metal. Yeah, um, I, I've seen. I feel like I've seen most of the things that she's been in, and she is really phenomenally talented and super duper endearing, uh, and and exactly why we should cast deaf people for deaf roles instead of casting people who don't know. Because like 100%. you can tell this, you can tell this woman is like so naturally in her skin, mm-hmm. and she's not. You know that that's like part of her day to day, and yeah. so we're watching it. Yeah, uh, just. Yeah, it just really worked for me. Yeah, she's great. And, and Makari's a standout in this movie in general. Just I, I really like that actress, but also the character's a, a standout in this movie. Mm-hmm. So this is where we get, um, things get interesting because Cersei it now finds out that uh, the truth of the situation, that apparently um, Arishem, uh, big, big Daddy Celestial, um, originally created the Deviants um, to, to, uh, keep other predators from snuffing out, uh, nascent, um, uh, sentient life. Uh, but the problem is deviants evolved. And so they then became the predators to, uh, not humans, but other sentient life. And so then he created the Eternals, which can't evolve, can't change are constant or essentially glorified robots is the impression we're led to believe to keep the deviants in check. And we need sentient life to grow because I guess that's what feeds uh, primordial celestials and and there's a celestial called Tiamat that's supposed to be born out of earth wiping out all earth life uh, and that is what the eternal's whole job was is to help this gestating eternal yes Roxy you, this you is where, in the back this is where my biggest question came in so the movie very clearly states we the reason that this celestial is able to be birthed is <laughs> because we finally got enough people on the planet yes remember the time that the Eternals didn't interfere with the person who got rid of half of the planet. Yeah, oopsie, oopsie doodles. <laughs> so I'm confused. If that was their whole job, yeah, that was the biggest flub I've ever. I I'm not understanding then how this couldn't have been a you should interfere moment. Yeah, it, it, you you could you could argue that um, they maybe not didn't know an Infinity War. But in Endgame, one of them should have shown. Uh, maybe they got dusted in Endgame. 
Let's say that. Let's say let's say they didn't know what Thanos was up to in Infinity War because things are happening pretty quick over there. And then they got dusted, so they weren't able to do anything about it in Endgame. What do you mean they got dusted? They got snapped out with the other half of the, the universe. Eternals? That's I, listen. It was random. Thanos is very big on it being random. <laughs> it was random for the people. I don't think it, the, he can. I don't think that Thanos can dust an Eternal. We don't know the science. The- <laughs> And none of them are going to say that. None of them are going to, we're never going to reference like, oh, that time that all of us were dusted. <laughs> yeah, but I do, I do feel like that's the, whenever uh, Marvel needs to explain why a character wasn't around for Endgame, it's like, oh, because they were dusted. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't fully, like, I, somebody tweeted at me before I was giving spoilers, when I wasn't giving spoilers, and they said, does the explanation they give for why they didn't help with the Thanos situation make sense? And I said, not fully, but I accept it. Yeah, it's it's but, it's very much just a hand wave. Like, hey, don't worry about that. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I guess. But you literally now are telling me the reason it's time for the Celestial is because there's enough people. Yep. Uh, but you didn't interfere when half the planet was going away. Yes. Yes, that, that is a problem. <laughs> okay. That okay. is a problem, yes. And I think this is a good moment for us to go on an ad break. Here it is, the ad break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back from the ad break, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of um, uh, skip through some of the stuff because we're running tight on time. Um, they basically come up with a plan that Druig is going to put the with uses mind powers to put Tiamat to sleep before it can get birth, which requires them to get Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, who um, implies that he is somehow involved in the nuclear program. Which it, a lot of the stuff with Fastos, like he's like, listen, guys, I invented a steam engine. It's like. What do you mean you invented? You're in a spaceship. You should. You didn't invent. You should have had to go through like old stuff. Like, oh, I guess this was a thing back then. Fastos is the internals involvement with humanity and with Fastos in particular. Like, did they give them technology? Did we come up with our own? Uh, whatever. It's I, I don't. I, I, it's a little murky. Yeah, it was more I think for comedy. Like, okay, fine, the plow or whatever. But sure. I was like, all right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. It, but it, but but so Fastos uh, after uh, Hiroshima is uh, boo humanity. But in that time, he's found his peace with it in a relationship, and it's a gay relationship. And again, this is another moment where the movie's kind of like effortlessly inclusive when they introduce the as a husband. I'm like, fine. But it's not like we're going to see the two smooch because I've seen these Marvel movies. I know how they work. And credit to this movie. Do. They do smooch. And will it probably edit out of international release? Probably. But listen, take what you can get. Like I, I, it's, it, this is, to me, this is significantly more meaningful than Loki being like, maybe I'm by wink. Like it's like, oh no, you fucking committed to it. Good for you. I agree. I did have questions here though. Yes. None of my questions revolve around him being gay or queer. None of my questions revolve around the kiss, all that stuff. I was like, fuck yeah, I love this. Here's where my questions revolve around. Yes. He's like, no, my family's the most important thing and always will be. And I'm like, 
you've been here for 7,000 years. <laughs> they are a blip on the radar. Yes. Like they're going to, they, you've probably been with this man for what? Five years? And maybe. Yeah. Let's maybe, say, let's maybe. be generous and say like 10. <laughs> 10. Uh, and they're going to be gone in what? 50 years? Yeah. So I was just thinking to myself, like, I, it, it's interesting to me with how much the Gemma chat with Gemma's character and um, Kit, Kit's character. Yeah. Even though she kept saying she like loved him, I felt like he was kind of like a blip on her radar, and she was kind of playing it like he was a blip on her radar, as opposed to Brian Tyree Henry, who's playing it like this is my everything. I'm like, dude, what? Like, <laughs> he's gonna be dead soon, and you're gonna just keep being here for seven thousand years. Uh, in his defense, uh, they do they are raising a kid, so that. It probably adds to it, um, but I yes, that that is a question. That is a yeah. it, it was is, fine, and I was just like, whatever. I don't even care about this because good on you, Marvel, for finally showing a gay relationship where they actually fucking suck face. Because uh, guess what? That's what happens. That's what happens. And also, I will say this: the other thing I liked is, and, and we don't really spend a lot of time unpacking it, but you know, I think a lot of people have probably dealt with some more nihilistic feelings that it feels like Fastos is dealing with after Hiroshima, and finding. I like the idea of this character being so focused on um, advancement, but finding peace in the simplicity of family. Not that necessarily everybody needs family, but that idea that human relationship. What matters is less is what you build and what you do as opposed to the relationships you create. What happens in that one moment in which we find out that he's actually been using his powers because something about the walls? Huh? I was super unclear. Oh, 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 that, that he uses powers to make the home like a safe house. Okay, so that's what, and yeah. we figured that out because we tried to like laser the walls. Or and something, there was like right? a shield or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, Vastos' powers, his, his powers are possibly the most confusing because it's like technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah totally. So, anyway, uh, uh, we, we get the group together. We find Makari in their spaceship. Again, uh, love that actress, think she's great in this role. And now it's time for people to like determine sides. And we find out that Icarus uh, knew what was up. Um, the reason that Crow, we I think it's supposed to be Crow. Crow is like the main deviant in the comics. I'm assuming that's this deviant that took Ajax's powers, um, uh, took Gilgamesh's powers. Gilgamesh at this point has uh, has been killed by Crow. Um, Icarus knew what was up, took uh, Ajax to where I guess some deviants were frozen in ice, and they're not now. Um, basically, fed her to them, <laughs> and and his team. We need to let Earth die to get the Celestial. Um, because the way it's presented is celestials are, are the creative force in the universe. So all life in the universe basically stems from the celestials. So if you don't let a celestial be born, you're possibly uh, damning billions of lives from uh, billions upon billions of lives to never exist. Um, and this, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode um, that uh, it, the, the movie respecting characters decisions. So Icarus um, decides to, go protect the celestial from being to be born at the um at the volcano sprite who we find out has always had feelings for icarus but because she's in a kid body can't do anything with him goes with him and i kind of thought this was like uh a play, like she's playing him nope she's team icarus and then kingo also says like listen i don't icarus is uh committing violence i'm not gonna fight you guys but i agree with him so i'm just gonna bail and I don't know. He was you, my favorite choice of all of the choices because I was like, I hear him. Yeah. And I get, he's not going to fuck with his friends, but at the same time, he's like, I, I can't do, I can't help you guys. 
And I don't know about you, but I kind of thought like, well, sure. But he's still going to show up in the third act to help save the day. No, he's no. out. Once he's out, he's out. And it's like, I, I really respect the movie for that. Yeah, me too. Because like, while putting him in might have caused more powers and more like excitement, like, oh, he showed up. I like that this man was like, I don't think what you guys are doing is right, but I'm not going to stand in your way. This is the decision I made. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, they still go back to him and like they have a relationship. Yeah. And that's kind of like where we're at in life right now where we don't have enough people who don't agree, <laughs> but are like, I'm not going to fucking murder you for it. Well, and this is the other thing where like people that didn't connect with this movie, I, I feel like, especially for American audiences, should be able to relate to what if the system that you grew up in and are act, were actively a part of is inherently bad and, and mm -hmm. detrimental. And it's, and what do you, how do you unpack that? I feel like, is a feeling I can relate to at least. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, so, uh, of course this all leads to a big smackdown, um, primarily with Icarus, uh, and the rest of the Eternals. Although Thena kind of gets her own fight with Crow, which I've, I'm going to be honest is the only time I have some technical problems with the movie. This was my only time that I felt like they dropped the ball. Like we, we, we do st spend some energy humanizing the deviants a little bit. And so I feel like it's smarter to have Crow work with them. For the that, that felt like that's what the movie was building towards. I this, thought I thought that that's what it was building towards as well. This is this is one of those things where I feel like there's a version of the script where Crow is the bad guy, and then they determined Icarus is a then we're like, interesting what? bad guy. But then they just did both. We're like, Thena's yeah. fighting Crow, and we're fighting Icarus. It's like, ah, this is weird. Crow, and we're like, why are you on Team Icarus? And he's like, because. And then says something that I was like, oh, I still don't get it, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of the. And they're like, we can't have him take Icarus's power. I'm like, sure, but I feel like. The Crow's big issue is like, hey, I don't want deviants to keep being murdered. And then the Eternals are like, hey, we should stop murdering people. So it's like, it feels like I get that he killed Gilgamesh and Ajax, but it feels like fundamentally y'all are on the same side. Yeah. Whatever. I didn't know his name was Crow until you just said that, by the way. They don't mention in the movie, and I'm guessing that's supposed to be Crow. Crow is what it is in the comics for the lead deviant. And I assuming, I'm assuming that this is the same character. Mm -hmm. I could be incorrect. This fight with Icarus fucking rules it is so fucking cool and i i know watching this i'm like oh chloe zhao should have directed justice league <laughs> it was really cool uh, i think that i think that they did a really great job of like telling us what their plan was and then visualizing that plan in a way that was still like holy shit that's yeah. so cool uh and i like that everybody it wasn't like we're waiting for that one strong eternal to kick in here. Mm -hmm. Everybody was kind of doing their part. And that was interesting. I, I definitely struggled in the third act with Sprite's character, but everybody else I was like really on board with. Well, and I also had some questions about like, we do a lot of like Druig's going to put the celestial asleep. It, no, not once does anybody go like, Hey Druig, can you just mind control Icarus for just a hot second while we, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, we do our thing. Uh, but the whole fight, specifically Makari versus Icarus, is just so visually fucking cool. It is essentially Flash. It's like it's Flash versus versus Superman, and then you've got uh, Fastos, who's kind of functioning like a cyborg character, and then Thena's got Wonder Woman vibes, Justice League vibes flying all over the place. But it fucking rules. And if they if they don't do another Eternals movie, and DC's looking to do a Justice League two, Chloe Zhao should be call number one. They make um, at least it would be for me. If I'm a Warner's exec, I'm like, oh, Justice League two. She's we're she's our first call. Yeah, she's very good. So. Very 
uh, through a gobbledygook we don't have time to get through. Essentially, all the Eternals are linked. uh, That superpower Cersei's abilities that now does she not only um, can she not only transmute inanimate matter, she can transmute um, organic matter. um, And they which we had seen a little bit of with the tree earlier on. Yeah. We established a little bit earlier, and and so essentially, they all get they all are able to pause everything enough, the whole fight with Icarus and everything to link up. And I like the little moment. Uh, Icarus's character was challenging for me for the first half of the movie when we get to his motivations, and like the scene that they give him after he lets Ajax die. Suddenly he he clicked into place, and it's like, oh, I get this guy. He's interesting. He's our antagonist, but he's interesting. I like him, and I like the moment where he's going to try and stop Cersei from stopping Tiamat, and because he can't, because of his affection for her, which deals with all their themes about sacrificing for the ones you love and all that stuff. And it felt realistic to me. It felt like the only thing that's going to stop him is seeing her in this moment. Like he can't take her out. He cannot do it. Yeah. And by the way, cool fucking visual. I don't know how the planet is still alive, but cool visual with like the celestial's hand coming out of the water really and a cool. little bit of his head. And I love that that's now just part of the geography of the MCU. Like that celestial Island, it just exists somewhere. It reminded me of planet of the apes in that moment, honestly, yeah. but yes, definitely. I thought, I think that that's cool. Then we see it on the news and stuff. Is is your uh, is your understanding that Icarus is dead? Great question. I feel like they leave it ambiguous. He does fly straight into the sun, but we don't too close s- to the sun. Some might say, ah, yeah, but we don't see him. And and I also don't know. I mean, they're Eternals, so like we do see two Eternals die in this movie. But like, does yeah? I don't know. I, I does he get reset and sent back down? Like. Because that's the other thing. We established that they're robots, and the implication when Cersei finds this out is that there's copies of them. However, information we get later is that different types of Eternals exist. Right. Um, which leads us, as we go to the after credits, um, the, the day is saved. Um, the, the Eternals, Icarus flies into the sun. Um, Sprite, because Cersei's powers are still boosted just enough, she's able to turn Sprite into a human. Which Didn't I Didn't understand is, that part. It, it's, a little, it's a little easy. Uh, I I do give it up. We have established that her powers are transfiguration or whatever. She can change stuff. So that's fine. I think also functionally it makes sense because if you want to do more of these movies, that actress is going to start to age, which is going to be confusing. Totally, but I just thought she was going to like immediately start growing. I thought it was going to be like a Poison Ivy Gotham situation where I like – and so I was like, what's happening? I'm not seeing it. By the way, that that young actress is very good, though. Yeah, she's very good. Well, and we also see her uh, create an illusion of her as an adult. So I also thought, like, is she just going to turn into that person? It's like, oh, no, she's just a kid now, which considering she's like a million years old, it's like, oh, that fucking blows. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a horrible time to start being a human. Anyway. Um, Go to school. And then... <laughs> That's a nightmare considering all she knows. Anyway, Dane is about to drop some serious uh, expositional backstory on Cersei when Eshram shows up and is like, I'm going to judge now. Um, and he takes, I, I believe it was um, Cersei, Fastos, and Kingo away, leaving Sprite behind, I guess, because she's human now. Yeah. Um, setting up the sequel. Um, and meanwhile, the other Eternals are out in space which is where we pick up with our first after credit sequence, the mid credit sequence where the eternal. So it's Makari Kingo and Thena are in space. They're not able. It's been weeks since they've been able to uh, contact their earth siblings and Pip the troll 
uh, iconic comic character Pip the Troll shows up played by voiced by Patton Oswalt and he is introducing Thanos's brother Eros played by Harry Styles which I was bummed I knew about that ahead of time it would have been cool if I, I did not, not know about that ahead of time and could not have cared less <laughs> um my impression Roxy is that Eros is is an eternal he's wearing a similar uniform to them uh, he he is he's just an eternal from another world right i have no idea i have okay. no idea he shows up and i was like is this because of everything that happened on loki or is this because of everything that's happening here um yeah so he comes hello. up and he's basically like i know where your siblings are right that's the that's the hook i think so okay um so i do have questions and you raised them earlier uh, I, 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 the impression I get is that he's another Eternal, which leads me to believe that there are other types of Eternals, not just copies of these ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, he's Thanos' brother. So is Thanos a robot? What What the fuck is Thanos' deal now? What am I supposed to understand is Thanos' deal? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they're going to address it. I... Oh, I feel like is that they, what he said? Does he show up and he said, "What is his actual words when he shows up?" I don't remember or his actual Pip words. I, Pip, Pip says, "This is the brother of Thanos," and everybody's like, "Thanos," and they're, he's like, uh, "And this is also confusing because his name is Eros, but he goes by the codename Star Fox." I just get rid of that and call him Eros, but whatever. Um, and he does this whole introduction that he's done all this great stuff, but they confirm that is he is Thanos' brother. Like? Yes. Why does he look like this? Like a human, because he's an eternal. I think the bigger question is why, why does Thanos, Thanos look, look the yeah. way? Yeah, why does Thanos look that way? Because you can't just say in the comics it's like he's got the deviant gene. In the context of what we understand Eternals and Deviants are in this movie, what the fuck does that mean? Like, right? I don't know. Um, also, question: We see uh, throughout the movie, we see a bunch of other Celestials. They all essentially look fundamentally design-wise similar. What's Ego's deal? Was he just like a stillborn? He never quite got out of the planet. He's just the planet now. <laughs> Is there any other way for them to be born other than the planet then? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And also, how does that pertain to his goals in uh, that movie? Also, interestingly Smaller enough, planet? because how we deal with Tiamat, I guess this movie is pro partial birth, birth abortion because he's, you know, Tiamat's on his way out and they're like, no, no, bye bye. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. They kill uh, a celestial baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, yeah, the Thanos stuff is my biggest question to the whole film, but I don't know that it's enough to deter me from liking something. I'm just kind of like, this doesn't really fully make sense. Maybe yeah. they'll explain it at some point. Maybe they won't. Because it doesn't matter to this movie. It is tough because, again, it's all part of the bigger Marvel superstructure. But it doesn't. the Thanos question doesn't derail this movie. It's just the bigger universe question. Can you talk to me about the next scene? Yes. So the post-credit scene. So th- this I know nothing about and, and want to do some reading on it because I was like, He's who? Yeah. So, so um, Jon Snow plays Dane Whitman, who's a character called Black Knight, who is part of a legacy. There was a Black Knight in, I think it is related to like Merlin and King Arthur, uh, medieval times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where instead of getting Excalibur, he gets something called the Ebony Blade, um, which there's been a few different iterations of. The most recent one, it actually feeds off of the negative feelings inside. It's the person that wields it and it makes it more powerful. Um, and Dane Whitman's been part of the Avengers. He is a uh, love interest of Cersei in the comics. Um, they were actually, uh, that is was actually Icarus a love interest of Cersei's in the comics. Uh, I think maybe I is think the point maybe. that I'm going to have to get on board with her and Dane. Yes. Well, that's a bummer because <laughs> he flew, right. Icarus flew into the sun literally. Yeah. But I um, liked that. 
So, um, so I guess what he was about ready to drop is that, and at the end of the movie was that he knows his history because he just says he has a complicated family history. He opens his crate, which has the ebony blade in it. I thought the ebony blade was looked really cool. And when we show that, that it is implied in the comics that the ebony blade is alive-ish, and we get a sense of that too because he reaches for it and then like the the there's like a, a black residue on it that starts moving. It looks actually it actually looks pretty fucking cool. And here's the part that confused me, and I've heard a, a two pretty compelling answers this question there's a voice off camera that ba- fundamentally says correct me if you remember differently is like are you sure you want to do that that's essentially mm-hmm. what the voice says mm-hmm. and i was like well who who, who? I, you recognize it was the like voice. are you sure you're ready or something like that yeah so when we left friend of the show adam plavik was in the screening with us and he said it was he thought it was jeffrey wright who plays the watcher in in what if and i think that's that's the argument that i that, that makes sense to me although why is he interfering anyway the other one, I obviously doing a new show with Sal. He thought it was Mahershala Ali as Blade, because in the comics, Blade is British. Um, and which I think could also work, but wow, how was he there? And is it just like I don't are they know just sword about buddies? The Watcher. So t- <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know enough to know. But uh, it felt like in the screening that we were in, it felt like everybody knew who it was based on like. <gasps> And then afterwards, I'm talking to people and nobody knew who it was. And I was yeah, like, it was, oh. It was probably that excitement, like, oh, we're going to reveal who it was. And then it cuts to black and like, oh. I, I feel like this is going to be, by the time this goes live, because we are pre-recording this, I think there will probably be, like, Marvel will reveal who the voice is. Um, Watcher makes more sense to me. The, the Watcher's deal, at least in What If, is he watches alt- multiple universes and just keeps track of their stories. He's not supposed to intervene. And I feel like him asking dane like what are you doing is him intervening so that raises some questions um Irina said to her it sounded like samuel l jackson which i don't know how that would be like how that would work here yeah and i feel like we're kind of taking sam jackson out of that role now like he's not that's not but his, maybe i don't know i feel like the watcher makes I more sense it again I, I, I feel the same way i feel like the watcher makes more sense because he can just appear places he's magic he can just show up wherever he wants any any normal tangible person it's like how are they in that room how they get in the room and um and and i know blade and and black knight were on a team dane whitman were on a team together beyond that and then both using swords i don't know why blade would involve himself in this uh, particular thing and but that's where we end up we do get a thing at, at the end that says the eternals will return um i uh, roxy before we go do you think we'll get a, an eternals too or do you think we'll have to wait to see eternals in other projects i definitely think we're gonna get an eternals too it, having a 62 percent on rotten tomatoes won't make a difference if it makes money so we'll yeah. see how it does in the box office what do you think dj do you think well, i don't I, I think you're right if it does well do you think it's gonna do well in the box office because we were hearing you know with some people not being interested in seeing it uh before but i also don't know what not doing well at the box office looks like now yeah me too especially like Dune is apparently slaughtering the box office, and it was also on HBO Max. This is only going to be available in theaters, right? Yeah. So I, I think that it's going to do well. Good, because uh, I would actually like to see more of these characters. Um, <laughs> and I think the setup for this gets me excited to see, like, are they going to go toe-to-toe with Celestials? Because that sounds cool. Uh, yeah. I also think that with this, after seeing this movie, it's like, oh, they should just make Galactus a Celestial. Like, seeing Arishem 
at Earth. It gave me like Mad Galactus vibes, and I oh. think it would just streamline stuff. And it even says Erishim's like, "I'm going to judge this world." Maybe he judges it not worthy, and he sends Galactus in like a Fantastic Four movie or a crossover mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Good pitches. So that's what we got. Uh, any final thoughts, Roxy? No, I did. I liked it. I really uh, liked it. Remind the kids at home where they can find you. Everywhere at Roxy Stryer. You can find me at DJ Talks Trash. You can find the show everywhere that matters at Only Stupid Answers, but on Twitter. You ain't got the vowels from stupid. That is it from us. Let us know what you thought about Eternals, and we will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.